Masechet Sukkah, Daf 29. Uh, we plan to complete the second pedic and begin the third about a stolen lulav. So the first halacha is the Mishnah, which talked about when it rains in the Sukkah and uh, the porridge gets, uh, gets spoiled, then you may leave the Sukkah. So what kind of dish? We're talking about uh, some kind of porridge made out of grains. Uh, like uh, you know, um, cream of wheat or, or, or something like that. Um, the point is that it's something that will easily spoil, even with just a little water it, it, it going in there, you're not going to want to sit in sukkah anymore. So once that happens, then a person is patur. Uh, not only patur, but should go inside. Okay, now we have a, a story. So one time, Abaye was sitting in the sukkah and wind came and blew some splinters from the sechach, little pieces of wood, went and fell into his food. Rav Yosef, who was was sitting with him, he was the teacher, said, "Um, take take my food, take the vessels out of here. I want to leave the sukkah. Abaye, the student asks, he said that Mishnah says you can only leave when things that are falling, rain is falling enough that would ruin the food. And in this case, it's not rain, but little pieces of wood. He says, it's just a little, a few splinters. Okay, so just take them out. It's not ruining the food. It's not sufficient to, to leave. What we see here is that it doesn't, doesn't have to be rain and uh, anything that is going to ruin the food. Um, so this doesn't look like it reaches that level. So Rav Yosef answered, me, for me, I'm, I'm very sensitive, I'm delicate. Uh, and therefore, uh, even this, for me, I, I, I don't want to eat it anymore when this uh, falls in. Uh, so we learn from this that it's a, it, it's a subjective um, uh, opinion uh, about when uh, it's enough rain or whatever it is that ruins the food that you wouldn't want to eat it anymore. At that point, a per- person can go inside. Uh, next, Tenora Banan. Haya ochel Okay, so going on chronologically, let's say a person did, was in the sukkah, and it started raining, and so he left. He was allowed to leave. It says he goes down, because generally they put the sukkah on the roof, so he's going down to his house, and he finishes, and he's continuing the suda in his house. And then, maybe before he finishes the eating the meal, it stops raining. So does he have to then go back uh, up, back outside to the sukkah? The answer is no. Once you go inside, you can finish the suda inside, even if it stops raining. Okay, good. Um, by the way, that's that's true for, for most meals. On the first night, we generally want to make sure to fulfill the, the special mitzvah of the first night. So um, in that case, we would go outside if it stops raining to be able to have some uh, some bread outside. Um, okay, the next case. Someone was sleeping in the sukkah and then started raining. And so you leave the sukkah and go down to your bedroom and then it stops raining. Do you have to go wake up in the middle of the night? You have to have asked someone if it stops raining, wake me up so I can go back to the sukkah. No, the same thing. You don't bother the person to go back to the sukkah until yeod, until it gets light. This is yeod with an aleph, um, meaning light. Okay, good. That's the that's the baraita. Now we're going to analyze it. Iba'ya lehu. 
Um, what is the correct uh, girsa of this paraita? Is it, in fact, with an aleph as we read it, or is it with an ayin, that you don't have to go back until you wake up? If you have an ayin, that, me, that would mean, let's say, um, you know, you go, uh, you go down at midnight, but then at three in the morning, uh, you wake up for some reason and you look outside and see it stopped raining. Maybe then you have to go back in. Like you don't have to get someone to wake you up. But if you do wake up before it gets light, then you do have to go back. Whereas if you have just an aleph, then that would mean that you can stay until sunrise when presumably most people would wake up. Although it could be the reverse situation where um, until it gets light, then uh, you'd have to go back, go back into the sukkah if you want to sleep more until it gets light. If you have an ayin, then you can continue sleeping until you wake up. Anyway, which, which is it, an aleph or an ayin? This is an interesting question because it shows that, uh, that they, they don't look alike, the aleph and uh, ayin and aleph. Um, so it shows that these disparaita and baraitot in general were memorized. And memorizing it, uh, the, the two words sound the same. And perhaps they didn't distinguish so much between Aleph and Ayin. We do know in Eretz Yisrael, they pronounced the gutturals uh, similarly. Um, and uh, so these could get mixed up. Now, Oh, here we have another B'raita that's going to help us. That says, until it gets light with an Aleph and... Amud Hashachar and the uh, and dawn uh, comes, so it gets light and uh, dawn arrives. So that's the answer. It's with an aleph. But hold on, there's something fishy about this Braita. Tarte. Why would it give two different definitions of when it gets light? When it gets light, that sounds like when it's very light, and dawn is only a little bit light. But anyway, it's it's repeated two different things, two different um, words for getting light. You wouldn't need that. So rather, this Braita itself. May, must must be an ayin would make more sense. It makes more sense to say that you need both until you wake up and it's uh, and the sun rises. So if you have either or, you can stay in your bedroom sleeping. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you see it stopped raining, you can stay there till the morning. And if uh, when it gets light, you're you know you had a bad sleep and you sleep until ten. Um, also, you can stay in your bed and you don't have to go to the sukkah. You need both conditions in order to have to go back to the sukkah after it was raining. All right, we continue with the Mishnah, which says that if it rains um, on uh, on sukkot, then it's like. Um, uh, a mashal of, uh, of a, a servant who's bringing wine and water that he would mix the water and the wine in front of the master and, um, and someone takes the jug and pours it out on his face. It's not so clear from the words of the Mishnah who is pouring the water on whose face. So Is it the servant that somehow gets angry at the master and pours it on the master? Um, which would make some sense because the servant is the one holding the jug of wine. Or is it the master who grabs a jug of wine and pours it on the servant? So the answer is Tashima Ditanya. We have another Braita. Again, very often we have Braitot that are parallel, similar to the Mishnah, but sometimes they have slightly different wording that can help clarify. So you see, it's the, it's the master who grabs the jug. Yes, how angry he is and pours it on the servant and says, I no longer want your service. And so that is like um, 
if it rains on, on, on Sukkot, we came, we prepared the whole Sukkah, and we're coming to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and then look what happens, we get rain on our heads, and so therefore, uh, this shows, this is a, a negative sign, it shows that our service is not wanted, um, which also has another corollary, corollary, which is, let's say a person wants to sit and stay in the Sukkah while it's raining, so I'm going to be, you know, I don't mind, and I'm going to be extra, extra pious, extra machmir. Um, so really, you shouldn't. And uh, some sources call the person chasid shoteh. This is or maaseh hejot. This is something an idiot would do. Let's say you're patur, you don't have to sit. And you know, Kadosh Baruch Hu rejected your service, so don't stay there. It's going to make them all only more upset. You go inside. Um, there are some Hasidic groups that do have the custom, however, to remain in the sukkah even while it's raining. Okay, so that's the mashal. Um, it's interesting that it's in, in this particular case, we, we apply this, you know, in other cases, let's say it was uh, uh, Kiddush, uh, uh, Kiddush Levana, right? To say, Berkata um, Levana, uh, and it's cloudy. Do you say the same thing? Oh, look, see, God is upset and doesn't want, is it a bad sign? Uh, probably not. It seems specifically uh, applies, applies to Sukkah because we want to come and meet the Shekhinah and be able to eat the meal together, which is like a korban. So because of all the other symbolism and excitement about it, um, it's particularly a negative sign not to be able to fulfill this mitzvah. Okay, tenor banan. Bizman loka, siman ra lechol haolam kulo. Okay, now the Gemara is going to transition from here to the rest of the Pedic to talk about other things that are a bad sign. If it rains on Sukkot, um, especially the first night, that's a bad sign. Other things is um, a an eclipse, a solar eclipse um, uh, comes to the comes to the world. That's a bad sign for the whole world. Uh, this you can find in uh, in uh, literature of the world um, that they consider an eclipse to be a bad sign. I mean, it's kind of scary that the sun just becomes dark in the middle of the day. So you can understand why um, it made into made it into a little shop of horrors. Uh, so it's in, uh, in 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 modern culture too. Okay, another mashal, similar, similar to a, a master, a king, and makes a, makes a festival for his servants, and he puts a lantern so that they can, it's nighttime, so that they can see. Then for some reason he gets angry at them, and so he tells the servant, take away the lantern so that they all will sit in darkness. Um, so, so to the same thing, uh, God provides the sun for us, and by taking away the sun, that uh, is a negative sign, means that, um, that he is upset about something that we are doing. Okay, Tanya, Rabbi Meir Omer, Kozman Shem Orot Lokin, Siman Ra Leson Ehem Shel Israel. Rabbi Meir continues and says, anytime any luminaries are eclipsed, meaning the sun or the moon, that is a negative sign for the enemies of Israel. This is a euphemism. He really means that the Jewish people um, may see bad things happening. A fascinating phrase because they experienced in their beatings. In other words, everyone blames the Jewish people uh, for whatever happens in the world. They're the scapegoat. And so therefore, uh, even though these are luminaries that are lighting up the whole world, uh, one way or another, the Jewish people is gonna get the brunt of the, uh, of, of this, uh, of the punishment. Um, so that's amazing that Abim Meir um, saw that pattern already 2000 years ago. Mashal le sofer sheba le bet ha sefer usa beyado, 
מי דואג? מי שרגיל ללקוט בכל יום ויום, הוא דואג. Um, a parable to a teacher that comes, calls a sofer, a teacher. So, I mean, they're also right, but they, uh, they were experts in the, in, in the Torah, in the words and language of the Torah. So a uh, teacher comes to teach the little children and he brings a whip in his hands. Who's going to worry the most? The kid that gets hit every day, he's going to be the one to worry because he knows he's the one that's going to get hit, right? The uh, A student in the front of the class, he doesn't have to worry. He never gets hit. So too, the nimshal is that um, B'nai Israel are, because they are used to suffering, used to punishments, they're the ones that, um, uh, in a way, maybe because of God's love, he, uh, he rebukes them because he sees, he sees uh, our potential. Um, nevertheless, um, when you see the whip coming out, you know the, that kid has to worry. So too, when we see an eclipse, it's B'nai Israel particularly that should worry. Now another Baraita that's slightly different here before Bimir was talking about both the sun and the moon. And now we see that, no, maybe there's a difference between their symbolisms. When the sun is eclipsed, that's a bad sign for the rest of the, the, rest of the nations of the world. When the moon is eclipsed, it's a sign of a negative sign for the enemies of Israel, meaning the Jewish people. Why? Because um, the uh, Jewish people, we, our calendar is lunar-based. Um, we have you know, 12 lunar months. Uh, the Rosh Chodesh is always the first of the month. And um, even though we have to, we add some leap months, uh, seven out of 19 years, in order to correlate it with the solar year. But basically, it's uh, fundamentally a lunar year. And uh, the non-Jews follow the sun. This is true today, uh, the Christian calendar, but it started way back. Uh, the Christian calendar from, from way back was a low solar calendar, and they didn't make it up. It was actually some, the, some of the Jewish sects, like the Dead Sea sect and the Sadducees, they also followed a solar calendar of 364 days. Um, but by the time of the Talmud, uh, they forgot about those sectarian calendars, and it became the Christian or non-Jewish calendar, Roman calendar too. So since they follow the sun, so the sun is a bad sign for them. Since we follow the moon, um, eclipse of the moon is a bad sign for us. Uh, further distinctions. If you see an eclipse in the east, it's a bad sign for those who live in the east. If it's in the west, it's only a bad sign for those who live in the west. If it's in the middle of the sky, then it's a bad sign for all of the world. Uh, more distinctions. If during the eclipse the sun looks red uh, like blood, then then that's going to be there's going to be a great war that's going to come to the to the world. If the sun looks darker like sackcloth, which is made out of goat's hair, then you know that hunger is coming to the world. When people are very uh, uh, dying of hunger, their, their, their face blackens. If it's red and dark, dark red, then both will happen, both uh, famine and, um, and war. If the eclipse happens when the sun is uh, coming in, um, that's, that is after it rising, soon after it's rising, then the negative is going to take a long time to come, right? It's just still in the beginning. Whereas if it happens when the sun is setting, then it's going to, it's about to leave. So that means that the, the negative is, the suffering is going to come quickly. 
Um, some people say the opposite. That if uh, when it just rises, that means look, see, it's coming fast. It's coming fast. When it sets, it's already leaving. It'll be a long time. Okay, so opposite opposite uh, interpretations. So that's not very helpful. Another very interesting uh, thesis. Every single nation um, that suffers has its God along with it. Uh, um, in Shemot, uh, Kadosh Baruch Hu says, I will bring out judgment to the gods of Egypt. Now, he's, he's bringing judgment and, and punishment upon Paro and the people of, of Mitzrayim. Um, Paro himself considered himself a god and connected with all the gods of Egypt. And so here, the Torah itself, uh, is saying that Hashem is doing battle with those gods. Now, obviously, the Torah is monotheistic. It doesn't believe that those gods exist. Uh, I think the point is that in the minds of the Egyptians themselves, they will realize that they're, the gods that they believe in are nonsense. Um, so, uh, but, but this does reflect an ancient view um, uh, among, among polytheists that every single nation has their own God that uh, takes care of them and that if one nation uh, destroys another, then in heavens, uh, there's also a parallel battle and that God destroys that other God. Um, the chidush, the big, big chidush of the Tanakh and of the Nevi'im is that even though we, B'nai Israel, were destroyed by the Babylonians, we should not give up on the Berit. Rather, we believe in only one God. Our God actually sent the Babylonians, this is Yemiyah's uh, 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 message, uh, sent the Babylonians to us as punishment. Not because Baal is, is more, is greater than Hashem. We don't believe in Baal. Hashem did this to us. Um, that was not a very popular message when Yemiyah said it, because basically saying, um, you know, the Babylonians are a messenger, and yes, they, they are going to win, and they didn't want to hear that. But um, uh, over time, Yeremiah's uh, wisdom, uh, the wisdom of that prophecy proved uh, true that B'nai Sel did not give up on their faith, even when they went into exile, and that allowed them to come back. Um, okay, so anyway, this is, uh, this is an old idea. Uh, this is the most important statement of this entire daf, uh, or this entire discussion of eclipse, that when Israel, when the Jewish people are fulfilling the will of their uh, of, of the omnipresent, um, there's a name of, uh, of, of God that's found often, Makom, because God is, is, is everywhere, God is the place where the world exists within. Um, so when we do the, the will, the will of, uh, of, of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then we don't have to worry from all the eclipses and all these signs and all that. How do we know? Because Yirmiyah himself said, uh, this is, um, all right, learn not from the ways of the nation and the signs of heaven, because that's all for them. They will be dismayed by them. When the other nations, the astrologers, especially the Babylonians were known for their astrology, when they look at these signs, they'll be dismayed and said, oh no, bad things are coming to the world. But it has nothing to do with us. For us, we are controlled not by the signs of heaven, but rather directly by um, by Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And therefore, if we're sinning, then yes, we should worry. We should worry anyway if we're if we're not doing the right thing. And in that case, uh, a, 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 an eclipse might be a bad sign. 
But if we're doing the right thing, then we don't have to worry about the eclipse. This is really very important. After all those statements that said, yeah, it's a bad sign, you have to worry, and all the details of it, this is basically saying it's all, um, it's all nonsense. Um, this is parallel to a, a discussion that we saw in Masechet Shabbat about astrology that gave all the astrological signs of someone's born on Monday and Tuesday and this hour, what it means. But eventually the suga ends and says, En Mazal Israel. All the astrological signs have nothing, have no power over Israel. We don't believe in it. We go directly to the top. We are um, governed by divine providence directly. Okay, so this is very important. Um, this suga doesn't end on this statement, but rather goes back to other statements about eclipses. So the structure isn't as neat as the one in Shabbat. So now a list of four things that cause, specifically cause a solar eclipse. If the head of a court, the head of the court dies and he's not given a proper eulogy, it means that the people didn't give, have enough respect for them, didn't have enough, enough respect for the law that he represents. And so therefore, um, this is deserving. So what does that have to do with an eclipse? Uh, maybe because the chief justice is the one that gives light unto the world. There's a lot of uh, um, uh, similarity between the sun and justice, the sun that sees everything. And um, the, uh, in the Hammurabi code, it's the sun that gives Hammurabi the authority to make the laws. Um, okay, so this, uh, the judge is supposed to be enlightening the world with, uh, with uh, laws. And if we don't respect that, then we don't deserve the sun that's parallel to it. And the second thing is, if um, a, a woman who's a betrothed um, is, uh, is raped in the city, and that means people are hearing and no one comes to, her sa to, to save her, uh, then, they, uh, then that's, uh, they're deserving of this. And all for also for homosexual relations. And if two brothers are killed at, in in uh, in the same uh, in the same day together. So uh, what do these have in common? Perhaps these are things that are done in in hiding in private, and so the the sun will kind of will shed light on it. Uh, the the sun knows uh, the sun is a symbol for that things that are in private become public and we know about them and the punishment will come because of them. Okay, so those are four things. For four things, uh, other heavenly lights, uh, darken, a moon, plaster, uh, for people, people that write fraudulent documents um, to discredit or other people or, or say just false rumors. Um, and for people who who swear falsely in testimony, both of these have to do with the moon because the moon is associated with hidden things, and these people are uh, are saying lies, uh, being being subversive, being uh, doing things on the sly. And those who raise small animals like goats and sheep in Israel, what's wrong with that? Well, goats uh, and, and sheep are uh, difficult to herd. I tried it once. It really is difficult. And what ends up happening is that when you shepherd them, they're going to go and eat other people's fields and end up, end up stealing from their fields. It's very difficult to raise small animals without stealing. Big animals are easier to control, um, apparently. And for people that cut down fruit trees, uh, fruit trees gives us great sustenance. We should have to appreciate them. There's a prohibition against cutting down fruit trees. Um, and so all these things, you're kind of destroying something in nature. 
And so the moon also will uh, darken because of that. Now, since we listed a couple of uh, lists of four, here's yet another one that's uh, negative, but nothing to do with astrology. For four things, the property of homeowners is given over to the king, uh, t- taken, confiscated. Why? For what? Uh, someone who keeps uh, promissory notes that were already paid. The person paid you back. And so, and then you say, usually when someone pays you back, you're supposed to take the IOU and give it to them or rip it up. Um, but you keep the you keep it. And so oh, I lost it. I don't know. And you still have it. And then a few years later, you can come and claim that money again. So that's a problem. That's, uh, that's just cheating the system. I was wondering now when you have, we have checks and we have uh, uh, online deposit, you still have the checks. What if you, what if you try to deposit it again? I don't know. I never tried it. Val Malve Bidibit and uh, people that lend with interest. So their ill-gotten gain will come back uh, against uh, to bite them. And they, the, the king will end up uh, confiscating that property. And people who are leaders of the community and they, uh, they're powerful people and they could have reprimanded uh, negative uh, um, uh, actions among in the community, and they did not reprimand the sinners. So, you know, they had wealth and they could have used it, used that power for good, and they didn't, so they don't deserve it. And also people who declare uh, donations in public and then don't pay their bills for their aliyot. Okay, that's not relevant for us today. Amar Rav. The last uh, statement of the Perek, Rabbi says, for another statement of four, four things that a homeowner, homeowner's property will be confiscated by the treasury, Timyon. So we're talking about like the Roman treasury where it's, uh, it's not just regular taxes, but things that are um, unfairly taken and then uh, you never see them again. Uh, someone who either doesn't pay his, his laborers or delays paying them. Or if someone is responsible to do something, some communal responsibility, and they don't do it, and they uh, rely on other people. They, put, they get their friends, you do it, I'm not taking care of it. When really, you know, you're the you're the committee member, you're the president, you're supposed to take care of it. And really, haughtiness is arrogance is worse than is equal to all of them. Um, um, but for those who are humble, uh, those those people will inherit the land and enjoy in an abundance of peace. So that's the opposite. So those who are, since the Pasuk says, Anavim, those who are humble inherit the land, it means those who are arrogant, they lose their land holdings. Um, so that's what we, um, we end with all these lists of four and negative signs. And we got here because we were talking about it raining on Pesach, on Sukkot, which was also a negative sign. Hadran alach hayashen. Okay, chazakimu beruchim for completing the second pedic. And as promised, we are going to begin the third pedic, um, the famous pedic called Lulav HaGazul Vehayavesh Pasul, a stolen Lulav, right? You go and just take your friend's Lulav, 
without him knowing, without his permission, and you shake it, is no good. Um, this actually happened one year. I was in a, a Bet Knesset, and um, and uh, there was a, a Bet, the Bet Knesset hired someone to sell to the community, and people signed up to buy them, but never paid. And so the rabbi of the of the Bet Knesset got up. Uh, and said, we were violating lulav ha-gazul, because people are taking and they never paid for, the, for, 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 for them. Um, and so therefore, these are all lulav ha-gazul. And right then and there, one of the community members offered to uh, pay the, the seller for all deficit and to make up any of his losses to make sure that would not be. Okay, so this is a irrelevant halakha. So uh, we'll see why. why, why what's the problem with a stolen lulav? Why, I mean, it's, it's bad to steal, right? And you'll violate stealing, but just because you violated one sin, why does that mean that if I do end up shake, taking that lulav and I don't fulfill the mitzvah of lulav? So we'll see. Behayavesh, pasul, also a lulav that's all dried out. Like it's not green anymore, it all withered away. Um, that is pasul. Um, you know, lulavim is not such a problem, but this applies also to the adasim and adavot, and uh, you have to keep them fresh for all, all, the, all seven days. If you take a lulav from an asherah tree, uh, a tree that's worshipped for avodah zarah, um, that's no good. It's, again, it's associated with, uh, with, uh, with a sin, so you can't take that and use it to praise a kadosh baruch for mitzvah. Eir anidachat is a city that most of the citizens um, worship idolatry, and it's declared that you have to destroy the city and burn everything in it. That means all everything in it is basically nothing. And so there's no way to own it because it's all condemned to, the, to, to be destroyed. And so that also, like idolatry, cannot be used. And so it's pasul. Not only do you, would you violate uh, idolatry uh, or the, the mitzvah, but also you don't fulfill your mitzvah of lulav if you take it. Other, uh, other cases, niktam if the top of the lulav was cut off, we have a picture of this, right? The, uh, the top was cut off. You have to cut it from the bottom, but you can't knock off the top. Or nifresu alav pasul, or if the leaves um, se- uh, uh, separated and they no longer are connected. A lulav has a middle spine, um, right? And then if the, if the leaves here were, uh, were ripped off uh, entirely, or mostly ripped off, and they're just being held together. This is how they would make brooms, by the way, back then. Um, so that is no good. Other people say that a, a split means talking about each leaf is doubled, is folded over and doubled if those get split open. Um, so all these things would be a problem. However, if they were ripped off, but they just separated, um, then that's okay. In other words, like this, right? They're still attached to the spine, but they're not tight uh, onto the spine. They're, uh, they, they, they moved away a little bit. Um, that's okay. Tanakama says you can leave it just like that. Rabbi Uda says, is a little bit more machmir, and he says you should tie it together, right? Even though it's not naturally together, tie it together, and uh, then that makes it kasher. Sine hara barzel kesherot, um, the certain type of lulav that comes from a place called the Iron Mountain, those you can use also, even though their leaves look a little different. See, the leaves of this palm tree are not are shorter. So each one doesn't go all the way up like the others do. Right? It only eats one short, but even though it looks funny, that is still a good kosher lulav. Lulav How long does the lulav have to be? At least three tefachim. 
about uh, nine, uh, nine, 10 inches, um, enough that you can wave it and shake it, and that is kasher. The Gemara will discuss uh, all these cases in depth, and let's start with the first halacha, ka pasek vetane. Lashena biyom tov rishon, lashena biyom tov sheni. The Gemara is surprised that the Mishnah um, just gave one ruling, pasak halacha, and taught without any distinction between the first day of Sukkot and the rest of the days of Sukkot. When it says Yom Tov Sheni, it's not talking about Yom, Yom Tov Sheni Shal Galuyot, um, that here it's even talking about in Israel, the, the, the second day of the holiday, all the days of the holiday, where, whether it's in Galut and it's Yom Tov or it's Chol The point is that the mitzvah on the first day is different from all the other days. And the mitzvah on the first day is more stringent. And so the Gemara is surprised that these stringencies uh, would apply not only to the first day, but also to the other six days. So what is it talking about? We understand when it talks about a dry one, right? If it's all dried out, that's the, the second case, um, that that would be applicable to all the days equally because it says hadad. Where does it say hadad? You have to take a beautiful uh, fruit and kapot uh, temarim and so on, even though hadad is really talking about the fruit, the etrog, but it applies to all of them. All, all the species have to be beautiful. And if it's all dried out and withered, then it's not beautiful. So we understand that would apply to all the days. Um, and veleka. Now, and, and now in the times of the Bet HaMikdash, all seven days would be deoraita to take love. Outside uh, the Bet HaMikdash, only the first day. I'm sorry, scratch that. Only the first day is deoraita because the Pasuk says, Only on the first day do you have to take them, and you, what do you do with them? And then you go uh, and uh, be happy with them for seven days. So, yes, what I said was correct. For all seven days in the Bet HaMikdash, that's where you are doing Simcha Lifnei Hashem. So you have to bring them all days. But outside the Bet HaMikdash, only the first day, um, is the oraita. The rest of them, the rabbi said, do it mid Rabbanan. Even though it's Rabbanan, the rabbi say, you should do it the way, the proper way. So bring uh, Hadar, don't bring something that is um, all dried out. So we understand that Yavesh applies all seven days equally. Ela gazul bishlama yom tov rishon dichtib lachem mishelachem ela yom tov sheni amai lo However, when we talk about stolen, if you see the Pasuk says, take lachem, take for yourselves. The word lachem means you have to own it on the first day. Now we learn from there that the ownership only applies to the first day, that on the first day, if you don't own it, no good, not even borrowing, you have to own it yourself. You could do a matana or something, um, but not on, but the other days, you don't have to own it. So how come the, the um, Mishnah, um, how come the, um, the Mishnah says that Ulav Gazul is not good all seven days and it really should only not be good on the first day? Um, okay, a side question is, how come it's assuming that Hadar is, applies all seven days? It's in the same pasuk as the word Lachem. Uh, so two possible answers. I like this answer. Ukachtem Lachem Bayom Arishon, period. Right? It looks like the Yom Arishon is going on the Lachem. Um, so for sure, it has to be yours the first day but not the rest of the days, uh, but the, not the rest of the days. Then 
if you put a period there, the Hadar is talking about all seven days that you take them. So that, that, that word applies all seven days. So that's one answer. Another answer is that we learned that the, the, the minim have to be beautiful from that we have to beautify Hashem with the mitzvot that we do. And so that's from a different pasuk altogether. So that also would apply all seven days. Okay, so back to the question. Um, why is Lulava Gazul uh, no good on the first day, but on the other days it's okay? The problem with Lulava Gazul is that it's a misvah that comes by means of a transgression, right? You're violating one thing in order to perform a misvah. So you can't do that. So now the Gemara is making a very interesting comparison between Lulav and a Korban. Uh, if you want to bring an, a Korban, the animal has to be a proper animal. And Pasuk uh, and Malachi says, you brought an animal that was stolen and lame and sick. Should I accept such a thing? So we learn from this pasuk that you can't bring an animal that's stolen or lame or sick. Now, gazul dumya de piser. It's comparing them. Something stolen is still similar to an animal that's lame. In what way is there a similarity? Just like one, an animal that's lame, it can't get better, right? If it can't, if it's uh, if it has a broken leg or missing a leg, it's not going to get better. Uh, so too, when we talk about one that's stolen, it's talking about a case where there's no way to recover it to make it better. Um, whether it's before Yeush or after Yeush. What is Yeush? Yeush means when you lose something, right? Right at first you say, wait, I'm going to find it. It's got to be here somewhere. At some point you give up on finding it and you say, okay, I, I, I despair. I'm not going to find it again. So for the thief on the thief side, when he steals it, if the owner still is expecting to find it, then the owner doesn't, then the, 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 the thief does not own it. However, according to Machloket, but in, uh, according to one opinion, uh, which we're following here, once the owner gives up on the possibility of finding it, then the robber, he did violate, he still has to, has to give it back, but the robber does own it. For example, if he does Kiddushin with it, does he own it? Is he married? Um, so how come this, um, this, this derasha here said that there's no difference between before and after Yehush? I understand that before Yehush, if someone steals an animal and tries to bring it as a sacrifice, uh, that violates a clear pasuk if you bring mikem, something that's from your own animal. And this is not yours, so it's not going to be a good, it's not going to be a kosher sacrifice. But let's say the owner gave up on it. He looked around for his animal for a couple of days, says, oh, forget it, that's it, it's gone. And so now, technically, the robber owns it. So if he owns it, he doesn't violate Adam Kiyakib Mikem. So why is it not a good sacrifice? Hakam Malachi here says, Gazul and Piseach, that is no good. Forever, even after Yehush, rather it's because even though he owns it, he got it in the ill-gotten way and uh, came to him through a transgression. So you cannot now do a mitzvah that um, through a transgression. And so this is the source for this whole entire concept of 
mitzvah ba'avera, and uh, end with one point, which is, it's very interesting that they're comparing a lulav, shaking your lulav, to offering a sacrifice. And now we're continuing our theme, just like a sukkah. We, we thought of that as being like a little mishkan, a place where the shekhinah rests. And the meal that we eat in the sukkah is like a, 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 a communion, like a sacrifice that we eat together with HaKadosh Baruch Hu. So too, the lulav is continuing that theme. And the lulav also is comparable to a sacrifice. And even in the details of the law of it being stolen, and uh, being pasul is also derived from this comparison of lulav to korban. Baruch Adonai Le'olam, men ve'amen.